I've always felt that theological conversations were interesting and fun. Mm -hmm. There's always a reason for why somebody believes what they believe. It's rarely that they opened up the Bible one day, read it, closed it, and said, I believe this now. Brothers and sisters, it is great to be on the channel again today. And as you see, we have actually one of my favorite people right now on the earth. <laughs> this is Brother Mark Kane, who I didn't know. I didn't even know he existed like three months ago, maybe four months ago. And then December of 2021, I ran across the UCA podcast. And let me tell you how I ran across it, Mark. Okay. I had a young brother visit the congregation where I'm eight, one of the pastors at, his name was Josiah Wright. And you did an episode with brother Josiah Wright. I did. I did. So he said, are you, are you a member of the UCA? I said, what is the UCA? <laughs> I started to listen and brother, you, you hooked me in. Remember when lost came out, you know, back in the early two thousands, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it was like, bam, bam, bam. I oh, said, no. oh, I can't stop listening. My wife said, what are you listening to? I said, shh. <laughs> the fruit of the spirit emanates from the way that you handle yourself and love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. That goes a long way with me. I think we need to to bring kindness back. We've, yeah. we've got it in Christianity nowadays that it seems like people think that crass is a gift of the spirit. <laughs> and it's just it's just not, you know, we no. need to be gentle and kind. So no. welcome. Welcome, yeah. Brother Mark. <laughs> you, you're very kind. I appreciate that rather glowing commendation there whatever uh, yeah yeah i thank you i it's a pleasure to be here i'm this is actually the first video interview that i've ever been a part of and wow yeah wow. so congratulations matthew you yes you yes. get to be the first i've listened to i want to say like maybe 16 or 17 episodes brother it's been such a blessing to me oh my goodness oh my goodness you make me laugh you make me cry <laughs> <laughs> Brother, I've been listening to it on my headphones at night, going to sleep to it, and then waking up and realizing I didn't finish the whole episode, and I'll backtrack it and listen to it again, you know? Apple Podcasts, they have a number for percentage of listening. If the average listener did 100%, that means the average person heard the whole episode. I have a few episodes where the average listener percentage listened to is 120%, which means that the average person has played it back a second time. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, like, really? And maybe you're doing that by falling asleep and then having to go back and do The main reason I like it is because, let me preface by saying this. Now, I'm an avid listener to Dustin Smith's Biblical Unitarian podcast, mm -hmm. where he goes specifically on doctrinal matters in depth. The difference with yours is that it's really not geared towards necessarily... Uh, apologetics or necessarily defending biblical Unitarianism. It's just normal people like myself. Yeah. Come on and they discuss and you just, it's just casual. It's so encouraging to me because although I have met other people that believe like I do in the matter of Christology, mm -hmm. they're few and far between compared to people that don't believe like we do. Yeah. So it's encouraged me. What made you decide to do this brother? I wanted to be in radio. I actually wanted a theological talk radio show 
back in 1993. I had gone to school to be a pastor. My dad was a pastor in the Church of God General Conference, and my older brother is a pastor in the conference. And I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. So I went off to college to be a pastor. And in my third year of college, I was like, I don't think I'm ready to be a pastor yet. I'm young. You know, I just had this misgiving about how could I do that? But I had gotten fascinated by talk radio. I was listening to WLS out of Chicago running all day long. Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is a fantastic medium. This is really (laughs) amazing. And why don't we have something like this for people like me? Because at the time, I was already a biblical Unitarian. I had been born in it from, Uh. from childhood. That was so, one of my questions. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Except for the few years that I went off to college. My dad was my pastor. I moved back in with him. So I think like I mean, around 40 years, 45 years, I can't even keep track. He was my pastor. So I had one pastor that long in my life. And of course, the whole time it was all good, solid theology on, on God and Jesus. It was, you know, so I was born in it. But I wanted to do radio and I wanted to have this opportunity to share these things. Mm-hmm. in a radio program. And then after doing radio for about a year, only I was playing black gospel music between midnight and 5 a.m. I was like, this is going to be a long process before I can get a radio show. In fact, after being realistic and thinking about it, I knew it was going to be a terribly hard process to get a radio show because <laughs> what Christian radio station is going to invite me uh, in and say, we're looking for a non-Trinitarian to have a program that's going to be well-liked yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. No. Oh, no. And what secular station would say, you know, we're trying to round out our stuff and we need we need some Christians on here. It's not likely. <laughs> so I gave it up and I just went on and did my life and ended up okay. as a software developer and doing other things. But to come around to how I ended up as the UCA podcast host, I had got the inclination about two, two and a half years ago, a podcast is what I need to do. This would be my way of recreating that original passion for talk radio, for conversations. The sheer breadth of the possibilities was actually overwhelming for me. I was like, I could go any direction. I could do anything. I was thinking about topics. You know, decision paralysis, you know what that is, where you, where, where can I focus? What can I do? In the meantime, an event happened called Converge, which was a Unitarian Christian event that happened in Northeast Ohio, because I live up here I was asked, hey, can you help? We'd want it to actually be located in that area. So I helped out, organize it. I was involved. I was there where like 300 people came. They said, Mark, it was great to have you on. We're also doing this thing called the UCA. Can you join that? And I, at that point, I was hooked. I, I was like, I love this. I'm, I'm meeting people from all over the, the country. Some people came from overseas. Yes. And I was like, this world is way bigger than I thought it was. Because I grew up, you know, we have our own little denomination. We have our own church. I, you know, I'm fine. Yeah, But it was really big and <laughs> like, okay, there's way more to this. So I joined the UCA effort and I originally helped with the website because there's a directory where you can look in a map and see, oh, there's Unitarian Christians all over the place. This yeah. is really cool. Yeah, I helped with that part of it. The first year's conference, 2020, was going to be our first UCA conference where we were going to get together. Mm-hmm. It got canceled. And, and so the, we were all talking like, well, what are we going to offer for the people who are hoping to finally connect? And it came up like, well, we could have a podcast, Mark. <laughs> and that was like the moment like, wait, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'll do this as the topic. I'll, you know, wipe away all of the confusion about which direction should it go and how. Like, I've narrowed my scope to yes. connecting with these people. You know, that's the mission of the UCA, the Unitarian Christian Alliance. Its goal is to do two things. It's kind of a unique bird. <laughs> its goal is to connect Unitarian Christians and to provide additional resources for them. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You know, people don't understand that. They think like, well, you know, you is it a church? Is it, a, you know, can we 
start a denomination here, start a group here and call it the UC. It's like, no, it's a special interest group for the purpose of trying to pool our resources and help get the word out. And yeah. we felt that like, hey, if you get thousands of people at some point all saying this same thing out loud, hmm. people might start to take notice. That's where the podcast is really shown because yeah. it's connecting the actual people who have been isolated <laughs> and are now hearing others and like, that's my story, or I've never heard that in my life. This is mm. fascinating. And mm. anyway, so that's how I ended up in the podcast. I One step led to another. Yeah. I got connected to these people, and I said, I love the vision. I love the the goals. Yeah. And they said, Mark, it seems like you might be able to pull this off. Yeah, <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> you, yeah you do a fabulous job at it, brother. <laughs> how do you go about choosing your guests? Mm. Are these people that you have met, or do you just get on the UCA website? I just pay attention to the social media stuff. You know, there's a Facebook page where some people in the UCA will chat, and then I follow a few other Biblical Unitarian Facebook groups. Sometimes somebody will just start telling a story right there. They'll be like, hey, this happened to me, or they'll comment. I'm like, hmm, friend that person, mm. and reach out to them and just say, I'd love to get to know you better. And that's one way that I connect. The other way is people actually just reach out to me and say, Mark, I'm loving your podcast. This reminded me of something that happened in my own life. And and I just do a couple of emails. And at some point, I'm like, well, can we just talk? And then once you've talked and once you hear what a person's story is, then like the light bulbs go out. I've talked to a lot more people than have actually been podcast guests. Oh, wow. Okay. I commute about 45 minutes each way twice a day. And I've been doing this for 19 years. I work on the opposite side of town. And I love that time in the car. That time in the car is when I listen to podcasts, listen to Dustin Smith, listen yeah. to some others. Yeah. And it's when I talk to people on the phone. So since I've started this podcast, one of the first things I do when I make a first connection with somebody, if I can tell that you know they're, they're on board by that, I mean, they like the idea, they like the vision of what we're doing, or they're mm -hmm. just interesting people, I'll say, hey, do you want to talk? And I give them my phone number, and then we schedule up one of my commutes. If it clicks, if I can communicate with them well, if they seem to, you know, if they're excited to talk, I'll ask them, do you, would you mind being a guest at some point? And, yeah. you know, typically I, I've got a lot of people who've said yes, and we just haven't, it hasn't felt like the time yet. I, I don't know. I just kind of wait for, I guess you could say I wait for God. I, it feels like when something is a topic that seems relevant, there's yeah. somebody there I know who has a story related to that. I just trust it and be like, okay, I've got quite a few people that I've talked to. I said, Hey, they would love to be a guest. I said, I'd love to do it. But at the moment, it just didn't click in my mind. Like, I don't know where we would go. They told me their entire life story and it was a, you know, a dozen things. I'm like, okay. I, <laughs> I don't want another life story. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I want something with the element in it that when you listen to it, you're like, that gives me something to think about. I'll think about sure. that tonight as I'm lying in bed. I can tell your brain works like that, and it comes across so well in the podcast. So if there's one trinity that I do believe in, it was that three-parter with Hildy Chandler there <laughs> at the beginning of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> it was like, you know, that was like a one, two, three punch. I couldn't wait. I, I mean, I wanted to finish episode, the first episode with her, but I was like, can I double time this so I can get to part two? I, I think I teared up maybe on her part two. You could tell, too, that she was a very astute Bible reader, Bible student, took her faith very seriously. She did not enter into it haphazardly. She wanted to make sure she got doctrine from Scripture. It just blessed me. Did you get to meet Hildy or just by phone? I have not met her in person yet. Okay. I have not. No, it was just by phone. Now, Keegan, mm -hmm. her son, 
is one of the members of the UCA board. He's one of, there's five oh, of us okay. now. And okay. so I've gotten to know Keegan over the process. Yeah. And Keegan had told me one time, like, I told my mom and we sat at the dining room table for all these hours. And he had mentioned that to me, you know, a couple years ago when they had kind of said, Mark, maybe you could do this as a podcast. I pictured Keegan's mom. Mm. I was like, that is one of those stories that when Keegan mentioned it to me, I remember thinking, I would love to know what that was like. All I could do was think, what would it have been like to sit there and listen to Hildy and Keegan, you know, squaring off, Keegan patiently responding, Hildy, you know, going through the mm -hmm. thing in her head, well, that makes you a heretic, and now my son is a heretic. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. And yeah. so I was like, Hildy will be my first guest, I hope. <laughs> so yeah. I reached out to her and, you know, she did not know what the UCA podcast would be. She had not heard anything. I said, this is what I'm doing. Would you be willing to do it? And she said yes. And, and there you go. Now, I have been interested in what kind of feedback that you've gotten, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, I, I suppose that most of your listeners are people of the same uh, Christological thinking as we are. Yeah. But, I mean, what's the ratio? Have you gotten mostly good, some bad? What's Curiously, mm -hmm. I think I've only ever gotten one person responding negatively to wow. the theology of the program. And I don't understand why that is. I mean, maybe I'm just so effective at targeting. I mean, the audience, the intended audience is Unitarian Christians specifically. And if you were asking, you know, unpack my brain, who am I talking to when I do an episode? Mm -hmm. I'm talking to the person who wishes he had a home fellowship or a church fellowship or someplace where he regularly gathered and could just talk about the Bible and not look over his shoulder to see, to see who's going to be like making notes. I'm going to report yeah. this to the pastor. That's the primary target of my audience. Now, yeah. in the process of doing that, I know that people stumble in and like, oh, I'm going to listen to that or I'm going to check that out. I say things that kind of sometimes lightheartedly poke, poke the Trinitarian bear. You know, I do mm -hmm. that because I'm having too much fun. Even though I do that, I know that when it all comes down, my single audience is Unitarian Christians who just want to see a bigger picture, to connect, to feel a connection with other people across the planet, specifically mm -hmm. those who have not felt that connection. Do you have any plans of how long you're going to keep this going? Do you have a number in mind? I don't have a number. Uh -huh. I am in the back of my head thinking about who will I hand the mantle off to at some point in the future. Mm. Right now, it's a minor thought in my head, but you know, you always should plan for your successor. We were very deliberate to make it the UCA podcast. It's not the Mark Cain podcast. Right, right. It's the UCA podcast. Therefore, at any point in the future, I could have somebody else doing the interview. I could have somebody else do the whole episode. And mm. it would still be exactly what it was. It would be the UCA podcast, not the mm. me podcast. <laughs> so at this point, I figure I'm going to go a few more years maybe. Mm -hmm. And then see if, if I've been able to cultivate additional folks who would say, that sounds interesting. And, and then I poke them and say, would you like to interview somebody? Listen, I'll edit it. You send me the audio of the interview. I will make it an episode. And then we will officially have a new interviewer, a new host, something like that. We'll see yeah. how it plays out. But at this point, I have no plans of stopping. Here's another point I just thought of is that I can sense sometimes when you interview the guests that you may not agree with what they're saying. You may not agree with certain other theologies mm -hmm. or doctrines that they hold to, but yet you don't over talk them. You listen 
you hear what they have to say, you respond in kindness. I think that makes for so much better of a conversation. And I actually think that when you treat people that way, even when you don't agree with something that they're saying, I think it opens the door for better listening capability. Yeah. In my younger years, I had a lot of, lot of zeal and not near as much knowledge. <laughs> and now, you know, I had somebody, I had somebody kind of poked me the other day and said I wasn't as zealous. And I told him, I said, it's not that I'm not as zealous. I think it's just by Yahweh's grace, I've gained wisdom. Is that a gift that you've had to uh, hone and, or, or did, is it something that comes naturally to you? Or is it just something you've thought about and you've said, look, there's no sense in arguing. Let me listen and hear this person out. That's a good question. Where did it come from? I've always felt that theological conversations were interesting and fun. I think growing up with my dad, who was a very humble, soft-spoken, gentle kind of guy, that having him as my example, the crafts was not something that I grew up with ever. Hmm. I just never saw it modeled in my dad, in his sermons, in his interactions with people. And I think I just followed course. I was just like, okay, that's a good way to be. And then as I got older and started to inter interact with more people, theological conversations, I discovered that they all had interesting things to say, and they all had reasons for why they said it. And it became kind of like an experiment in my head, like, can I get to where I understand why they're actually saying that? Was it, in their case, was it just they were taught that when they were a child, therefore, okay, it's just, it's not going to drain out of their head, it's been glued in. Or was it something that they discovered? Was it an experience in their past? There's always a reason for why somebody believes what they believe. It's rarely that they opened up the Bible one day, read it, closed it, and said, I believe this now. There's, mm -hmm. there's a teacher present somewhere, or maybe it was just their mother. And the idea that they would change their theology on this is attached to kind of a psychological, I would be breaking from my mother. I can't do that. It's such a sociological and psychological process. Beliefs are that way. When people would be telling me things, I would just always be listening. Like, why do you think that? And okay. And so... Yeah. It worked so well over my years that when it just came time to do the podcast, I'm like, I'm going to just let these people talk. I'm going to listen and see if I can understand what they're saying. Now, I do go one little, a little step further in the podcast. Uh -huh. If we were just sitting at the table and they said something that I didn't agree with, mm -hmm. I might go into it like, oh, I'm interested in that. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the podcast, we don't have the luxury because there's, there's a story or something that I want to get through. Yeah. But I, I have absolute confidence that the Holy Spirit will be working in everybody's lives who are interested in truth. Yes. If they're interested in truth, they can hear somebody say something incorrect, they can hear somebody say something correct, mm. and it doesn't bother me. It mm. doesn't bother me at all that, oh, somebody just said something that I entirely disagree with and I think they're wrong. Like, well, yeah. I don't want it to be my job to correct the people because I believe that's the Holy Spirit active in people. They will hear things, and I, you know, like if they hear something like, boy, that really, that makes, there's a certain sense to that. I'm going to go check that out. Mm -hmm. Or something mm -hmm. else they hear and they're like, I, I, mm. yeah, I, I, just, I just leave it to God to take care of people. It's really cool to, to see what happens in an interview casual process. Because yeah. I set out to be like, okay, we're going to just talk about, it's going to orbit around the idea of God is one and Jesus is his human Messiah. That's where we're going to go with this. And I knew going into it, like, well, okay, that it'll go other directions. I'm guaranteed. There's no way to prevent it from, you know, shooting over here or shooting over there. You know, there's a lot of other doctrines that, that come in. And I decided early on, if that's part of the story, I let it play out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the people listening 
can work through what does that mean. And we had an example of a fellow who found, I can't remember the episode number, but it was the Brazilian Jewish Portuguese speaking YouTuber. I think that's what I called it. Hmm. But he had just discovered the Shema and he finally figured out that Unitarian was a word that would match to believing that God is one person and not three persons. Sure, and he sure. found my podcast and he was just fascinated. He was listening and he heard Kevin George mention um, Acts 1, 6, where the disciples said, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Kevin George says, so I, I heard that. And I was like, those guys just don't understand anything. Because in Kevin George's world, if you die today, would you go to heaven? That was the that was his whole framework. <laughs> yeah. You know, the idea of a kingdom or the disciples talking about some sort of a, it's like, they, they just didn't understand. And then it was like, boom, Kevin says, maybe they did understand. Maybe I'm wrong. So Kevin started to ask questions on that doctrine. It, that wasn't the point of the show at all. I just let Kevin explain what happened and how that led him to the next thing and then to the next thing. But here yeah. this guy's listening to it and he's like, wait, what? He's yeah. like, I got to look into that. So he looked into it himself yeah. and that led him into other other understandings. And all I had to do was expose him to it. And so therefore, if I expose somebody to something that might not be correct and they look mm -hmm. into it, I just have to trust that after they look into it, they'll be like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. I, I can't agree with that, but I looked into it. And so it's okay. Yeah. So your dad was a pastor. Yeah. Was he like, I don't know, I'm not familiar with your church upbringing. So was there like a senior pastor, an associate pastor? I grew up in the Pentecostal church, by okay. the way. So okay. that's what we would have, like a bishop, you know, even though I learned that bishop elder pastor is all the same thing <laughs> later on. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> We'd have a, a bishop and then an associate and then a youth pastor and music minister and, and all of that. So what was your dad's rank, uh, so to speak? Yeah, it, our, our group is the Church of God General Conference and the headquarters okay. is in Atlanta. And okay. the yeah. way that it functions is very autonomous. The churches don't have any authority beyond the church. The general conference really just provides resources, maybe some prints some books, does some material, cool. and maybe helps rebuild the roof when the roof leaks and they need you know a fundraising thing. So we're a conference of churches, but they're all very independent. Okay. And so typically there's one pastor, a set of elders in the church, and that's just about it. There's no tier above it that is somewhere else. You have to have a big group of people before you would have a pastor and an associate pastor. And usually then yeah. it's just because of practicality. It's like, okay, we're up to 150 people. <laughs> this is hard. I, you know, we need to spend a lot of time with these folks. I'm going to have yeah. a couple people who are dedicated to this. So Cool, cool, cool. So you were raised biblical Unitarian since, mm -hmm. I mean, when you were in diapers, right? Yep, yep. Wow. So see, I was raised, I, there's never a time that I can remember when I, I wasn't in church. Hmm. So I, I come from a big family of pastors, music ministers, tent evangelists, faith healers, people like that. And some of the stuff that I was raised with, I still believe. Some of the stuff I, I don't, but I was raised oneness Pentecostal. Okay. So we grew up with, you know, the Jesus only. I mean, we, when we talked about Jesus, we were talking about the Almighty, God Almighty. Yeah. Uh, so to meet somebody that has always understood you know, the oneness of God and the humanity of, of the Messiah of Yeshua or Jesus mm -hmm. is, is fascinating. Mark, have you ever had to change your mind on something that you were taught? You know, like me, I can think of, I can think of two or three major things that I have changed my mind on through Bible study. I started studying when I was about 15 years old diligently. Mm -hmm. And in the last 25 years, I, I can think of probably three major uh, doctrinal changes that I've made based upon my scripture reading and study. Have you ever experienced anything like that in your life? Yeah, my 
Yeah, uh, my dad was of the view that Satan was not personal. They call it non-personality of Satan. That wow. there's a group that this is very common in called the Christadelphians. They view Satan as kind of a personification of the tendencies within us. If you're struggling with Satan, you're struggling with your own temptations. Somebody could go look that up and see how that works. But my dad had that belief and I just went along with it because yeah. he was my dad and I had yeah. not looked into it myself. I was like, okay, well, that's fine. Then I went off to college and some of the people at the college did not think that way. I went to the Atlanta Bible College, which is a small college that our denomination has. And real close to me, by the way, Atlanta Bible College. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I started hearing other things and I thought, no, you know, that can't be right because, well, I believed one way and naturally what I believe is right, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, what we all think, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Why would I believe it if it was wrong? That's silly. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so I was exposed to that and I'm like, and I had gained some of that kind of reaction, kind of a visceral reaction to like, what? God would create a creature that was, would have some entity that could go around and do bad things. Like that just, you know, my dad, just by the way, he naturally talked about it all through his life. Mm -hmm. He had kind of created that sense in my mind that, yeah, like that is, I, I can't see it either. I can't see, but yet I kept being exposed to this. So eventually I had to look into it myself and say like, okay, wait, let me, let me look to see. Well, and I eventually decided the disciples and the people who wrote the New Testament probably thought there was something more going on than just, I'm just going to use these words to describe what was happening inside of a person. Mm. Yeah. And so I had to kind of have a conversation with my dad one day. He's like, dad, I don't think I agree with you on this anymore. And, and it turned out very pleasant. He didn't seem to mind too much, <laughs> but what's neat is over the years going through this process, I described before, like understanding why would somebody believe this? Why, why would they think a certain way? Is it just because they read the scripture and one day they, they just saw it now that this can't be the case. Mm -hmm. And I remembered a story that my dad had told when he was a child, he had a very, very rough childhood. Hmm. And his parents were not good at the time. Now his dad later became a Christian and he, mm. you know, he was baptized. Mm. But at the time his mother was very difficult. She got mad at him for something. He was just a little kid. He had come home with gum, I think. And she says, she accused him of getting it off of a chair, pulling it off of a chair. And it just, mm. it was traumatizing to my dad. And she sent him out to a hole to sit on a board by a hole, they were digging a basement for a garage. And she says, you're gonna come in here and tell me the truth or Satan's gonna come out of that hole to get you. Mm. And dad says he sat there as a child and he was so traumatized that he says the ground was moving. He was, he felt like it was going to happen to him. Like PTSD kind of like trauma. I mean, you're, when you get a little kid and you, you come at him like that. Yeah. So later in life, I never got to ask him because he passed a few years ago, but mm -hmm. I think, when he heard the theological view that this wasn't real, that there weren't supernatural beings, and that mm. I think that gave him comfort so that he could confidently put all of that experience into a container, yeah. Yeah. close the lid, set yeah. it to the side, and move on. That's what I think. Now, yeah. I can't be sure, I can't ask him. I'll ask him one day, <laughs> but for yeah. now, you know, I, I was like, I yeah. get that. If you had one of those moments that was so intense, and then there was a there was an intellectual understanding that allowed you to compartmentalize that moment as clearly this is just not a problem this will never happen again because there aren't these things there aren't these evil spirits and these other put it off to the side 
and move on. Now, mm -hmm. as a result of this, actually, I feel like it's given me one more area where I enjoy the process of listening and communicating with somebody about, about a doctor. And I actually have talked to some Christadelphians about this. And I have actually a lot of respect for the perspective that, hey, you can't blame some yes. super, supernatural being for your, like, well, you know, she was adorable, I was at the office, Satan made me have adultery, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, that doesn't work. That just right. doesn't work. You know, we That's are right. in fact responsible for our own actions. And we- Sure, James so, one, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, we're tempted, yeah. yeah. People are definitely influenced by their upbringing. I remember listening to a man who was teaching against the consumption of all alcohol one mm. time. And I was kind of raised that way. You know, you drink a beer, you're going to hell as they, <laughs> yeah. as they define hell. Yeah. And he got, it, I, it was at a conference and he got just dogged out by the Q and a at the end. And I felt bad for him. And I was, that's probably 10 years ago or, or more. And I got a chance to sit with him in private. And when I talked to him, I found out that his father growing up was a, a alcoholic. Hmm. and and was abusive to him as as a son now this man was like in his mid-60s so his dad had already died and, and and gone on but i became a lot more sympathetic when i understood okay you know i don't agree with you on this particular doctrine sir my brother but i can understand why you're at the point that you're that you're at and i think we need to be sympathetic with people on those things so yeah. I, I i get what you're saying about you, how your dad you know with that story and, and all of that brother how do you give me give me an honest answer how do you view you know trinitarian christians do you consider them your brothers and sisters in christ um, are you one of those people that call trinitarians heretics are you one of those people that tell them well if you don't see christology and theology the way i do then your salvation is in jeopardy. How do you handle that? No, that's a great question. I hope to do an episode on this one day soon, but I, I, I see things in a spectrum. I know there are Trinitarians who are hardcore. No, I, I have this perfect picture of what I think the Trinity is. This is exactly how this works. And in mm -hmm. fact, you're going to hell because you're wrong. Yeah, That's one kind of a person, but there's a vast pool of people just a few notches down from that, who when you kind of pin them down and like, well, describe what it is you believe when you say the Trinity, and they start mm -hmm. talking, you're like, okay, mm -hmm. you're not nearly the Trinitarian I thought you were because I think you just put Jesus as a subordinate to the Father. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, now then they come back like, no, 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 he's co-equal. They say the word he's co-equal, mm -hmm. but then in all functionality, yeah. they treat him like he's not. So yeah. I kind of decided a long time ago that the only people that I really have a problem with are the teachers. The ones yeah. who stand up and say, I'm telling you this is how it is, and I'm telling you that when you interact with somebody like Mark over there, hmm. you need to dismiss him or you need to not listen to him, you need to not read his literature, you need like, okay, mm -hmm. that's where the problem is. I did an episode on this called The Spirit of Error. There's a difference between error itself, like I got this wrong, and the spirit of error. Uh-huh. I believe that the spirit of error is the, is the spiritual state a person is in that interferes with gaining truth. Okay. So if I'm talking to somebody and they're just interested and they love their faith and they love Bible and we start discussing the Trinity or this other, and they're like interested and it's like, oh, I'll, I'll, we can talk about this. Hmm. I'm like, I, they just might be on the path to discovering something new and God put me in their life. And you know, who am I to say, if God's working with that person, like why would I 
say that they're going to hell yes. if God is actually leading them to the next step in their faith. Amen. That's that yes. seems pretty presumptuous on my part. Like, oh well, you know, yeah. they don't have X exactly correct. Therefore, there's just no way. I was like, eh. But again, go back to like pin them down, ask them questions. They did a survey and had like one of the questions was Jesus was a created being or something. And quite a few evangelicals mm. thought he might, thought he was. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so you have the language of the Trinity. You have the proper words, and you say co-equal, and you say mm. all that when you sing your holy Trinity song or whatever. Mm. And then you mm. have everyday life where you go about your business and you pray. I generally see everybody in that kind of gray area where they were told to think one way, but when they spend a lot of time in the Bible, they tend to kind of default to, well, there's God and then there's Jesus. I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's how I feel. And I, I really only lamb lambast. I'm, 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 I give it, <laughs> the, the teachers should be a lot more careful about what they do because many of them actually know that there's some issues with this, but they, yeah. they plow ahead anyway. And like, you will be judged more harshly for this. Oh, At man, least yeah. you could do is have the, have the compassion for your audience to yeah. know, you know, you went to seminary and you know how bad this was when they went through the thing. You know how you feel on Trinity Sunday when you have to go and explain this. You know how hard that is because most of them do. They're like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> then back off a bit on your mm. congregation. Give them the latitude to ask the questions to explore mm. it themselves. Now, it's just hard. It's hard in an organized group to do that. It's just yeah, very it hard. Is. But it is. Have you ran into, I know I have scholars, Trinitarian scholars that are extremely well-known and very astute in the way that they speak, but yet when they talk amongst each other or write articles about each other, they disagree <laughs> on their explanation of the Trinity, how <laughs> yeah. it works and how all the nuts and bolts work. I was listening one time when I was in my 20s. I listened a lot to R.C. Sproul. Yeah. He rest in peace. He was a great general Bible knowledge teacher, just had a gift for teaching. Yeah. And there was a time when he was on a panel of like five or six elders and John MacArthur was there and Sproul was there and they were sitting beside each other. And John MacArthur was answering a question from an audience of hundreds of people about the Trinity. R.C. Sproul interrupted him and said, John, that's not correct. And MacArthur looked over at Sproul and Sproul corrected him on the verbiage that he was using because he was speaking outside of the Nicene and Athanasian creeds. Yeah, probably said, a Chalcedonian not, one too. R.C. really likes that one. Yes, he did. <laughs> and I think what it was is MacArthur said that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And Sproul raised his hand and said, no, 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 no. That's, that's not correct. That's contradictory. He's very God and very man. And MacArthur bowed his head and said, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but it was like, you know, they, they don't even have it all ironed out amongst themselves. And yet there are some staunch Trinitarian pastors and scholars that say, if you don't see it this way, you're, you know, you're going to bust the lake of fire wide open. I don't, I don't think that when I read the Bible, I don't, I don't see that, that almighty Yahweh judges somebody on missing something in their mind so much as what they practice out with their hands and feet and how they yeah. treat other people and how they show their love towards him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I would, I completely agree. And I have seen it. I, uh, thankfully these other podcasts, Dustin Smith, uh, Dale Tuggy and the Trinity's podcast, Sean yeah, Finnegan, yeah. you know, there's some great material out there and, I would listen to um, like R.C. Sproul. I've heard a lot of R.C. Sproul. I enjoyed listening to the guy. Yeah. I, I still, I have one of his episodes are in my list right now to catch in the next several wow. days. Wow. And, I, and I do that because 
I know that he explains what he believes in a very clear way. Yes. So yes. that I know what it is I'm disagreeing with. I actually played a clip of him on one of the podcasts where he laid out the Chalcedonian Creed and he says, this is our boundaries. And, mm. you know, I, I criticized him a little. It was like he basically sure. bowed to the Chalcedonian Creed. He bowed to Catholic fathers and said, yeah. Yeah. they will guide our thinking. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's not good. But no. he said it so well. So I, I was like, I, I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's another doctrine? And we'll, we'll veer off here. What's another doctrine that you hold to right now that will at times or has at times gotten you in trouble with traditional Christianity? I believe that our hope is a resurrection and not uh, an immediate arrival into heaven. And that is not particularly popular in the typical yeah. Christian organizations. Sure. So, yeah, that gets me in trouble. And it's interesting, too, because if you treat it purely intellectually, purely intellectually, you're like, well, the moment you die, you can't think. And then your next moment, you hear Jesus's voice and you're rising from the dead. Yeah. Like, what? Okay, fine. You know, I, it, it seems like such a, on the grand scheme of things, like, well, we're, are we alive between death and resurrection? Are we aware of things? Are we not? Aware? Seems like such a small thing. But yeah. say it to somebody who has for their entire life yeah. talked to and enjoyed the thought of their grandmother watching down from heaven above. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're telling me grandma's not in heaven right now happy, and instead she's just dead? Hmm. Yeah. Nope, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to hear you. I, I don't like it. I don't want to hear it. But it isn't even, for me, it's... I don't even put that on the list. Some people like to make everything a salvation issue. Like, well, sure, you know, if you sure, can't yeah. understand scripture here about this thing, you're clear. It's like, mm, mm, yeah. I, no, I don't think, believe that that you are unconscious between death and resurrection and believe on the Lord Jesus and then you shall be saved. You know, it, didn't, <laughs> you know, it doesn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I, I have a lot of grace for these people because I get it. If you were taught this from childhood, if every, every funeral you went to yeah. had that person in heaven, like yeah. you, it's so hard to retract an ingrained pattern. Mm -hmm. I actually just had an, an interesting example happen to me just two days ago, or was it yesterday? It might have been yesterday. <laughs> I was talking with a fellow who says, "Hey, that verse that where there are some of you here who will not taste death before the kingdom of God." Sure. He says, "I have an understanding of that that might be different than yours." And I explained what I thought, and then he says, "Yeah, let me try it." So he he explained what he thought, and I literally could not, I was like, you're going to have to just say that whole thing again. Like, what's wrong with my, maybe part of that's being 51 years old and, and the <laughs> ruts, the ruts are a lot more entrenched than they used to be. <laughs> he explained it again. I was like, okay, say it in different words so that I don't, because every time you say the same words, the sense of what I know that means or what I think that means rises right up and just clouds out what it is you're trying to say. So just stop using the actual words in the passage. Yeah, say yeah. it in different words so that I can hear it yeah. without my preconception. And so he finally did, and finally it happened. I was like, wow, it's just one little passage. And it wasn't even some kind of thought that I had built into my everyday life. This wasn't something that we talked about every Sunday. This, mm -hmm. this was just, what does it mean when Jesus said, some of you here will not taste death before the kingdom of God? Sure. And yeah. I, like, I barely ever think of that, yet I struggled so much to hear what he was saying. It was like, this is fascinating. Say it again. Say it again. Like, <laughs> I, and yeah. so, you know, and then I look like, okay, if you've grown up with grandmas in heaven yeah, and that's all you've ever heard, like, like I'm going to show up and be like, well, actually it says depart 
and to be with Christ, not depart is to be with Christ. Yeah. And then they're going to go, oh, oh, great. Paul was just talking about two states. There's the current state and then that which is being with Christ. Sure. Sort of like, I like to joke, like, like if I said, I desire to not be in Cleveland and to be in Disney. Okay, I can mm -hmm. say that. <laughs> and people mm -hmm. would go like, I get you, Mark. I get you. Now, I did not say to depart Cleveland is to be in Disney. Yeah, yeah. I, I did yeah. not say that. So that's no, one of the I things get... that has that has been a problem for yeah. some people. And I'm like, I, I get it. But they've come around. Like traditional Christianity has come around a lot in this regard. They've like said, okay, the resurrection seems to be really important. It's like, sure. yeah, when Jesus talked about the future hope, it was always yes. at the resurrection, at the yes. resurrection, at the resurrection, not at the moment you die. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, what's his name? Edward Fudge did a lot to help in regards to no eternal conscious torment. And yeah. then I think recently N.T. Wright has done a lot of writings on the resurrection. Yeah. And um, even Randy Alcorn, I think, which is a big prolific Christian author, teaches now the resurrection and that our, our blessed hope is not going to heaven when you die in a disembodied spirit yeah. or soul or whatever they call it. But you and I, we, we, we're in agreement on okay. that subject. Okay. Yeah, I came to that understanding in probably the late 90s, early 2000s. So that was one of the things I had to change on. That wasn't a real big one for me. Okay. I'm like, you, it's important. But uh, I don't go around making it my my sermon when I witness to people. <laughs> yeah, <know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. If you believe your grandma's in heaven, you're clearly mistaken. And yeah. I've got some news for you. She's rotting in a hole. Like, oh, okay, my goodness. Yeah. can you imagine? Oh, <laughs> oh, what a powerful witness you were to me today. Thank yeah. you for coming and sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have found that it's comforting to talk to people who may have had loved ones that they pretty much knew weren't born again or weren't yeah. saved. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so you're you're actually telling me that they haven't been burning for the last 10 years below us. And yeah. I say, biblically, no, they're not. They're asleep. They're at peace. May they rest in peace. And they're awaiting the resurrection where there will be judgment. But God is a God of compassion, even in his judgment. Yeah. Uh, I think it has some beauty to it that the eternal conscious torment doctrine just doesn't give us. <laughs> my brother is also a pastor. My older brother, his name is Alan. He pastors in South Central Ohio. And he told me once something that, that stuck with me. He says, I had a conversation with somebody who, who looked at me as like, but if there's no hell, if there's no like fear of hell, how will we get people to, to commit? How do you get people hooked in if, if they're like, there's no, you know, like, you know, if I don't follow God, then I mean, okay, yeah. one brief poof, and then I'm gone. Yeah. And, and Alan's response was, well, God doesn't want you because you're afraid of the consequences. Yeah. He wants you to love him. He yes. wants, he Beautiful. wants you to make a genuine choice. I love God. I really do. I want to be there with him. I'm going to choose that. Yeah. And it's, it is more of a choice when it's not like, hmm. you know, like, hey, do you want me to put a match to your hand until you scream in pain? Or do you want to yeah. come help me, you know, clean the kitchen? Well, I think I'm going to come help you clean the kitchen. Like, yeah. boy, that was yeah. such a loving choice you made to help me in the kitchen. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything in particular that you're studying about right now, Mark, in your private Bible study time, anything that you're looking into, or maybe any doctrine that you're curious about and you want to study more because maybe you don't have everything ironed out in your mind? I started in on this for a little while, actually, as a result of the UCA conference. Mm -hmm. We had it in Tennessee back last October. What was cool is that you had a lot of people in the room that you know don't see things the way you do. That's part of the whole point of the UCA is like, if you're only agreeing on one thing, then you know, <laughs> yeah. you know for a fact that you've got yeah. a lot of people who have other views. Yeah. And I would say that my upbringing was 
mostly cessationist in oh, terms okay. of the spiritual gifts. Sure. I was the opposite. So. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I say mostly, like, I mean, my, it wasn't a topic that my dad spoke about. Mm -hmm. He, And so I just never really had any exposure to that sort of thing. But I was always a little uncomfortable with the idea that, well, that just doesn't happen now. I'm like, well, God being God, <laughs> I bet if he wanted it to happen, it would happen and I'd have nothing to say about it. So, exactly. so yeah. I, I, I could never be a staunch cessationist. I just was basically dubious of a lot of the stuff that I saw. Now, part of that comes from my sociological observation of people. I spend a lot of time thinking about what's happening inside of us. I have a couple episodes where I actually unpack that because I think it says a lot about how humans function when, when you realize we have an inclination in our heart to do what is right. And that's God, I believe God put that in us. Hmm. And what it does is it, it makes us feel guilty when we do wrong. It's why when we steal the cookies and your mom comes in and says, Hey, we're missing cookies. You immediately have that sense of I've been found out. If we were purely animals, like purely animals, we'd be like, mm -hmm. yep, we ate the cookies, <laughs> but we're not, we have inner turmoil. It's like, where does this come from? And I believe it comes from being made in man, in God's image, that he mm. gave us this sense of right and wrong. He built it into most humans. I mean, some people have, have basically fried it out of their bodies by now, but <laughs> most of us have a sense and we get it. We, you know, when you talk about that, that inner struggle, like you lay in bed at night and realize, okay, I was a complete jerk to that person at work today, mm -hmm. but let me just turn on some Netflix and enjoy myself, you know, and go to sleep and not think about it. <laughs> Yeah. We have an inner battle. The skeptic in me looks at some of the things that happen. I can fit a lot of categories into this. I just, for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to fit some of the spiritual gifts into it. They can be used as a way to reaffirm ourselves. Like we actually might have a real problem. Like mm -hmm. there might be something actually wrong, but you know what? If X happens, yeah. then I must not be wrong. It's almost like you could just think of it in terms of like, a worshipful experience. I remember I went to one rock concert in my entire life. My, okay, I'm, I'm probably not typical. It was it was U2, and it oh, was in wow. Atlanta. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, and and I I had a friend there with me who was during one of their songs. People were like swaying, and it was like he says it's like a worship experience, <laughs> and I was like, it is. What does this mean? I'm going to have to process this because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't, yeah. I don't have to explain that to you. It wasn't one of those experiences. It was like, yeah. what is happening? It's like, okay. So at that point on, I started to recognize that there are things that we, we can participate in, mm. which gives us an experience that is pleasant, makes us feel okay, makes us feel right, mm. that might not be the best for us. We may be better served being in a closet and struggling with some deep inner problems, then we are served with a really good worship band and speaking in tongues and this and that. And, you know, so I, I kind of clump all that together. Anything that would serve the purpose of reaffirming ourselves in our spiritual state without actually having to go through the unpleasant process of dealing yeah. with sin and real problems in our life is yeah. easily abused. As a result of the UCA conference, I met somebody who he's the kind of guy I know I can ask questions about this. So we had a little conversation and I, I got so busy I had to stop. But I plan to come back to it and explore it a little bit more and think this through again. I don't know where I would ultimately land in this. Yeah. I don't feel like personally, 
I don't speak in tongues. It's never happened to me. Mm. And and I don't feel like somehow I'm just lacking in my faith. I, I don't no. feel it. No. I don't no. sense it. It's like, okay, well, should I just go yearning for this because then I'll be complete? I'm like, that actually triggers that thing in the back of my mind is if I'm if I'm looking to feel more complete, mm. am I doing that because that'll make me feel better and not so mm. aware of maybe things that are actually a problem? I don't know if that all makes sense, but you can listen to the episode about the conscience. Yeah. I kind of talk about that inner struggle and what does that really mean and what's happening? I am going to, at this point, thank you for all of your hard work. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I'm a pastor. I know how much work goes into preparing something when you do it properly. And the episodes that you put out on the podcast, they, they're tight. They're very, they're very pristine. You know, they're, they're coming across the, the airways that way. And I, I enjoy listening. So if nobody has ever told you that they appreciate all that minutia that you put in, I do. And maybe it comes from my dad. My dad grew up in radio and my dad's a perfectionist. And he said, son, if there's anything worth doing, it's worth doing right. That's what he told me. Uh, I like it. Those words ring out in my ears. Yeah, yeah. I thank you for for all your effort uh, from the small things to the big things. And I can tell you're a very personable brother. I'm glad that we're becoming friends, and I yes. hope that it continues on. I really do. I do. I, I look forward to meeting you in person someday. We'll just sit and talk for hours. I, yes. I would yes, love it. I would do. love it. We could. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, brother. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you, Matthew.